Section zero of the Empresses of Constantinople. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Empresses of Constantinople by Joseph McCabe. Preface. In concluding an earlier volume on the mistresses of the Western Roman Empire, I observed that, as the gallery of fair and frail ladies closed, we stood at the door of the long, quaint gallery of the Byzantine empresses. It seemed natural and desirable to pass on to this more interesting and less familiar series of the mistresses of the Eastern Roman Empire, and the present volume will therefore tell the story of the empresses, or queens as they preferred to be called, who occupied the throne set up by Constantine in New Rome, or ancient Byzantium, until the victorious Turk thrust it disdainfully aside to make way for his more spacious harem. The Eastern or Byzantine Empire has long been regarded in Europe as a world of far less interest than that which centered on the banks of the Tiber, a world of monotonous piety and little adventure or spirit, almost Chinese in its placid and unchanging adherence to traditional and very conventional forms. One is tempted to attribute this error not merely to the longer concealment of Byzantine antiquities from our fathers and the superior attractiveness of Italy, but in some measure to the disproportion of Gibbon's work. By the time the great historian has advanced only one or two centuries in the life of the East, he finds that the superb generosity of his plan has committed him to an unachievable task and he begins to compress whole chapters of the most vivid and adventurous history into a few disdainful pages, and as Finlay, the proper historian of the Greek civilization, not only lacks the charm which draws each generation with fresh wonder to the volumes of Gibbon, but shares and expresses the same disdain for his subject. His work has not tended to redeem the Byzantine Empire from neglect, of late years there has been some quickening of interest in the Eastern Empire. Professor Berry in this country, M. Deal in France, Schlumberger in Germany, and other historians have done much to draw attention to the extraordinary interest and the very lively character of Byzantine life. When we confine our attention, as we do in this volume, to the court life and the personality of the imperial women, the interest rises to the pitch of romance, and is often sustained at that height for many chapters. Few courts in the world have, in their thousand years of history, witnessed so much adventure, intrigue, comedy, and tragedy as that of the Byzantine empresses. From all quarters of the empire, in the most varied ways, all sorts of women, from princesses to village girls, tavern girls, or circus girls, make their way to the bronze-roofed palace, and wear for a season the prodigious jewels and the glittering robes of an empress of Constantinople. And, as there is no law or method of succession to the throne, the rise and fall of emperors and empresses gives a dramatic movement to the story. 
the notion that the eastern empresses are enwrapped in a rigid piety and formalism as they are in their stiff tunics of cloth gold is a ludicrous mistake their piety is usually external and superficial and often they make not the least pretense of it while even when it is obviously sincere it is associated with a skill in casuistry which allows a free play of their ambitions their passions and even their criminal impulses indeed it is only fair to say at the outset that if a reader passes from the gallery of the pagan empresses into that of the empresses of constantinople in the hope of encountering more restful more virtuous and more domestic types of womanhood he will be grievously disappointed we may not find a messalina among them but irregularity of life is more evenly distributed than among the roman empresses ambition and intrigue are far more cultivated and there is a strain of barbaric cruelty running through the greater part of the story which it would have been more pleasant had it been consistent with truthfulness to omit but the biographer should not be a moralist my simple purpose is to depict as far as it is possible the very varied types of womanhood which come into the fierce light that beats about a throne in that strange world where greek and roman and syrian blood blend to produce a new character the difficulties of the task have been considerable and may be urged in extenuation of some of the apparent defects of the story apart from sketches of the lives of five or six of the byzantine empresses especially those in m Diehl's fine figures byzantine the study is entirely new and the material has had to be laboriously collected from the endless pages of the greek chroniclers these chroniclers are largely monks and in nearly all cases they are little disposed to speak of the imperial women until they either misbehave themselves or come to wield a mastery over men their references to the empresses are usually brief and scattered sentences which have to be gleaned with care and in hardly any single case do even contemporary writers condescend to give us a portrait of an empress seeing that in addition we have not as in the case of rome any statues or portrait busts of the empresses and the few representations of them which have survived in miniatures ivories etc are lifeless and conventionalized pictures it is not possible to bring them before the eye in as satisfactory a way as one could wish in this as in the preceding volume i have utterly refused to follow the genial example of rogat de servier and allow imagination to come to the aid of fact but I have carefully gathered and included all that is known about the Eastern Empresses, and, lest it be thought that the less known Empresses might alter the balance of vice or virtue, I have inserted even the scanty references to these. It remains only to explain the starting point of the volume. In my Empresses of Rome, which includes all Empresses down to the fall of Rome, I necessarily included the early empresses of the eastern series, when east and west were branches of one dominion. It is therefore not necessary to repeat the story of the beautiful and languid Eudoxia, 
the daughter of a Frankish chief whom a palace intrigue raised to the purple, and who is one of the butts of St. Chrysostom's fiery sermons, nor of Eudocia, the Athenian girl who set out to find her father's money and obtained a kingdom, who wrote poems in her native tongue and at last passed from the court under a cloud of suspicion, nor of Pulcheria, the virgin sister of Theodosius and rival of Eudocia, who ruled the empire for her brother, and after his death took to herself a nominal husband, and with Marcian was governing the eastern world at the time of the fall of Rome. I have adequately described her in the preceding volume, and the present story opens at her death in the year 453. End of section zero.